Keep your praise on. And this is such a wonderful time of the year. It's the beginning of the Christian's greatest week because Christ is going to go to the cross. He's, or we're going to remember that he went to the cross. He's going to defeat the enemy and restore back to God what belongs to him. And though it pertains to everything, it's really about us, me and you. Amen? Amen. It is the week of the ultimate battle of good versus evil, the showdown. And if you haven't heard, God has already won. Amen? Amen? And before we get to the triumphal entry where he's riding on the donkey, and we've already read that to open with, but I want to start just a little bit further back because I think it's really the beginning. Um, and it starts on a Friday. And it's when Jesus arrives at Bethany. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 12, please. John chapter 12. And at prayer last night, Chrissy said what she got. And she said, I don't even know what it means. And then she expounded on it. And she had a sneak peek into my message. So she already knows what I'm going to say. Or at least the majority of it. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover... Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this anointment, or why was this ointment, not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And then I'm going to read this in Mark's version. And Mark lines up with Matthew and I can't tell you everything about this, but Mark chapter 14, verse 3 says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at, a, at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignant, indignantly, why, has this, why was this anointment or ointment, wasted like that. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Now, the amount of this too, if you read and, and study this, it's about a year's wage. So, it was expensive. It wasn't something that was cheap. 
Verse 6, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Isn't that amazing? And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And so this happened on Friday. And then you have uh, Saturday would have been the Sabbath and it's a day of rest. And then Sunday you have the triumphal entry. But I just kind of like this because when that ointment was poured on him, then it says that it was being it was poured out on him for his burial in preparation of his burial. And I like it where it says, and it filled the fragrance filled the whole house. And I just happen to think that when Jesus was going through everything that he was getting ready to go through, that he would remember that, that that smell would come up before him, that that memory would come up before him. And it would comfort him while he was getting ready to die for us. It's just like something God would do, isn't it? If you'll turn back with me to John chapter 12, if you left, and we're going to start in verse 12 now, and this is the triumphal entry, and this is Sunday. I don't know if you care about what the days are, but we'll just work through it on a daily basis. John 12, 12 says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that all, that you all, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So in their minds, there's some competition. But as we have this triumphal entry, I started thinking about why did they do this triumphal entry? Why did they cut the palm branches and the leaves? Why did they put their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on there and let him ride. And why did they put, it says in you know, Mark and Matthew and Luke, that they put the, their cloaks on the path and they put branches down on the path as well. But they were worshiping God. They were praising Jesus. And I started wondering, well, why did they do this? And I don't know if this is correct or not, but my conclusion was because the Holy Spirit told them to. I believe that the Holy Spirit was directing them 
at this time to be able to praise Him. And they were recognizing Him as King. I believe that, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit moved on their hearts and confirmed that Jesus was King of the Israelites. And so as He's going in, they're acknowledging it publicly that He is their King. But I also think that when the Holy Spirit spoke to them that He is their King, then they started getting exciting, excited because they started thinking, finally their King is here, and now they're going to be set free. Because you have to understand that they were in oppression during this time. Things were not well for them. If you were not Roman, it wasn't going well for you. There was a Roman Empire that was wreaking havoc on them and oppressing them. And so their excitement when the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And so I believe that that is what, part of what helped move them to cut the branches down. To lay their cloaks down. To wave them before Him. To acknowledge Him as King. I believe that they were thinking, okay, if the Holy Spirit is telling us this, that this is our time. Our time has come. And so there was a great celebration. Their praise was on. And then I started thinking about this. Jesus participated in this celebration as well. He didn't stop them. He didn't say, no, 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 you don't know what you're doing. He allowed them to praise Him. He allowed them to acknowledge that He was King. And so, in their minds, and you, and you see all of this, they're realizing that they've been under the Romans and the tyranny and the oppression and the persecution they felt and that this was going to be a new day for the Israelites. You see, there was really no other reason that I can think of unless Jesus told them personally. But I don't think it plays out like that. There was no real reason for their worship of Jesus as King. But I'm not sure that they understood all that they were doing. And I'm not quite sure that we understand all that we're doing either at times. Because there's times in our lives when we know that God has spoken to us. We know that He's called us. We know that He's leading us. And we get all excited about it. And we begin to praise Him for it. But what I have come to find out is He doesn't tell you the whole story. He just tells you a little bit. He tells you the good part. Unless you're Paul. Or Saul getting ready to be Paul. How exciting that Jesus is going to be their king. The king of Israel. And they recognized it. And they were anticipating this. You know, they were looking forward to this. Maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to them when, when, uh, when they saw the cult as well. But, you know, he had, Jesus did direct them to go in and get the cult. And, you know, maybe they knew out of Zechariah 9.9 that this was their king. I don't know, but... They were excited and they were ready to worship Him. In the midst of their worshiping Jesus, they didn't realize all that Jesus was going to go through and suffer to become King. And not just their King, but for 
everyone who believes in him. And so I want to take a pause here and make sure that you realize that we need to keep our praise on. We need to keep our praise on. It's easy for us to praise him when we know he is doing a new thing and he is with us and all is going well in our lives. But we also have to be willing to praise him when things turn hard and when we encounter an enemy who hates us and wants to steal, kill, and destroy any semblance of God in us and in our lives. You see, we can't ignore the fact that there's a battle going on for our lives. The enemy doesn't want anything of Christ to come forth, but he can't stop that. But we can stop it. Because when the enemy comes against us, if we stop praising, if we don't keep our praise on, then I'm going to tell you, he's going to win. And that's why it's so important for us to keep praising him, even when things go bad in our lives. If God has called us to greatness, and I believe that he has, I believe that he's called each and every one of us to greatness, according to John 3, 8. And now what that looks like in us, I don't know. But I believe that God has called us to do something great for Him. And so, uh, believing that, then I assure you that the enemy will try to cause trouble and he will cause trouble in our lives to try and get us to quit way before our time of fulfillment. And it's in those times that we need to keep our praise on, hold on to our praise, and keep worshiping Him. They understood that he was going to be king. But they didn't understand what he was going to go through to become king. We are going to face trials and difficulties if we endeavor to do anything great for God. And we should desire to do great for God. Let me just remind you of John 16.33. Jesus is trying to comfort them. He's talking about his death. And he says, I have said these these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Can you keep your praise on during tribulation? Because he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I do not know anyone who has been exempt from tribulation. I haven't met one person who hasn't experienced some kind of trouble in their lives. Some more than others. But he says that we can take heart because he's overcome the world. So while we're in this world, I want you to know you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to face difficulties. You're going to face uncertainties. And the question is, are you willing to keep your praise on? I don't believe that they saw what was coming and all the hardship that Jesus was going to encounter, even though he did tell them. He tried to prepare them. But I don't believe that we believe it all either. You know, we hear the good part that we like, but we don't hear the struggle part. 
And it's okay that he doesn't tell us. Because nobody would say yes. But when we're on that journey and trouble comes, there's one thing that we've already figured out before the trouble comes is he's with us. God is with us. And we praise him when, when he calls us. We praise him when he calls us out. We praise him when everything is going well. But we need to keep our praise on even when things turn bad. Now, at this point in the story, they're still riding high. And then, and this is Sunday, but Monday comes. And you know what happens on Monday? Jesus goes into the temple and he clears the tables because he sees what is going on, which he's done this before, but he's doing it again. He sees the money changing that is going on. He sees how they're weakening the temple of God. So he clears it. So if you were one of those who were praising him on Sunday on the triumphal entry, you're thinking Monday morning, Monday afternoon, we're right. We're right. We had a right to praise him. He's proving he is king. He's validated their actions on Sunday with his triumphal entry and all their hopes of freedom from the oppressors. Tuesday comes. And there's not a lot that goes on on Tuesday, but Jesus does avoid the traps of the priest that the priest set for him. And he does a little bit of teaching. He taught against the Pharisees. He predicted the destruction of Herod's temple. And he told his disciples about coming events, things that were going to happen, including his return. Another day to hold on to their praise, to keep on, to keep their praise on. Wednesday, a day of rest. Not much takes place. Thursday, he has Passover and institutes the last Supper, and then Friday comes. Everybody say Friday comes. Mm-mm-mm. Did they fully understand what it meant when Jesus ate the Last Supper, the Passover with them, and instituted? Did they fully understand? I don't think so. But they kept their praise on. And I'm sure that helped. They were thinking, we've got this in the bag. God's getting ready to reverse everything. He's getting ready to answer our prayers. We're going to be a free people. We're going to have victory over the Romans. We're not going to be persecuted anymore. We're not going to be uh, tormented anymore by them. And so they're praising him. And then Friday comes. We know it as Good Friday. And Jesus experiences his betrayal, his arrest, desertions, false trials, denial, condemnation, beatings, mockeries, and even his death on the cross and his burial. So I want to take a moment not to gross you out, but just to help you out because I think we need to understand these things. Let's go through a few things that he suffered at, his beatings. And 
Partly I want to do this because I don't think we fully grasp or have grasped what Jesus really went through for us to secure our salvation, our healing, our peace with Him. Because I think if we truly understood it, we wouldn't argue with Him as much as we do about the things that He requires of us and the things that He desires of us. You know, if it's glamorous, we'll be more willing to do it. But if it's not glamorous, if it's not in the limelight, we seem to have an argue with Him. I believe that if we fully understood or understood more, we wouldn't be so concerned about our comfort. In light of how He suffered. Our comfort, our comfortability is so, so petty compared to what He went through. And I can't tell you as a pastor how many times people told me, I'm not comfortable doing that. Okay. Okay. Don't be uncomfortable. But in your uncomfortability, guess what? The kingdom of God is not expanded. Or in your comfortability, I should say. Not your uncomfortability. It's when we get out of our comfort zone. That's when things happen in our life. That's when things change. I guess that's why I loved worship so much this morning because we've got people that are out of their comfort zone. It's okay. You know, if we really believe that the Scripture says that we can make a joyful noise unto the Lord, then what does it matter? It's not about our comfort, is it? It's not about how everything sounds. You see, what we do on Sunday morning just ought to be a representation of what we do in our home. And so if you can't worship at home, I guess I'll tell you what, you're going to have a struggle worshiping here. And I, John, since you had a birthday, I'm just telling you, the older I get, the more we worship at our home first. I mean, it's amazing. When she's up, it's on. We're worshiping. And there's times when the music goes off and we just worship on our own. So let's remind ourselves of what Jesus went through after his triumphal entry. And imagine if you were one of the disciples or followers that participated in the triumphal entry. How would you feel when Jesus is beaten, mocked, stripped raw, and crucified on the cross? Think about that as we go through this, and I'll remind you. But it starts off with, and I'm not giving you scriptures for this, but you can find them. He was blindfolded. And then they were beating him. And then they were mocking him and saying, prophesy, who hit you? When they were watching this, did they keep their praise on after this? Flogging and scourging that he experienced. And this is what happened. He was tied to a post and then whipped with a flagellum. 
and which is a whip of with heavy leather thongs on the end. And they would put lead beads on the end. They would put iron balls on the end. And they would put bone fracture pieces on the end of that. And then they would whip them with it. And this is what they did to Jesus. Until it would not just break his skin, but it would get down to his muscles. And he's bleeding. It's not a pretty picture. They did this. The flogging was designed to bring them as close to death as they could get a person without actually killing them. And so, if you were one of those who was praising Him at the triumphal entry, and you're seeing this, are you keeping your praise on? The mocking and crown of thorns. You know, it was after his beatings that they took a robe and put it on him. And that robe was not a light robe. It's not like a bathrobe. It was a heavy robe. And they put it on him after he's already been flogged. And so you know that that's got to be painful as he's as that's put on him. And then they take the uh, crown of thorns and they keep shoving it. They don't just gently lay it on there. They stab him with it. And then he's bleeding from that as well. The bleeding alone, you know, running down his face, down his eyes, but the pain, the excruciating pain that would come from all of that. And so did they keep their praise on after watching this? And then if that wasn't all bad enough, He's forced now, after all that they've done to him, he's forced now to carry his crossbeam that weighed probably somewhere around 100 pounds. Did they keep their praise on after watching this? And how about us? Do we? Then, as he's being hung on the cross, the five to six inch spikes that went through his hands or his wrist. And then the nine inch spike that went through his feet. And then he's hanging there and then he's mocked even more. Challenged, if you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself? Come down from there. How would you have responded? If you were one of those, you're at the triumphal entry and then you think, man, this is our king. He's finally here. And then you see all of this transpire before you. And you're thinking to yourself, did we miss it? I thought he was the king. We just praised him four days ago as king. And then while he's hanging on the cross, Luke 23, 34 says, he says this, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Can you imagine 
you're watching this, and this is your king, and all that he's went through, and now he's on the cross, and then he cries out, Father, forgive them. And then his death and the spear piercing him afterwards and his burial. Did they keep their praise on after watching all of this? It's one thing to praise God when everything is going well and you are blessed and you've experienced a triumphal entry of your own. But what happens when life becomes difficult? It becomes hard. It becomes confusing and overwhelming. And I'm sure that these followers and those who were worshiping him and praising him, I'm, I'm certain that they began to wonder, did we miss this? Did we not hear from God? Was the Holy Spirit not speaking to us if that's how it happened? But they had to be thinking, did we miss it? I want to encourage you that if you have had a triumphal experience and you praised Him, then hold on to your praise now. Even when things have changed and you are dumbfounded, wondering where is God and where did we miss Him? Don't give up. Hold on to your praise. He is still God. He still loves us. And He's still working good for our lives. Though, for a moment, it doesn't appear like we're reigning in life. You see, I want to encourage you that it's really not about us. It's about Him. It's about Him and His love for us. And His love that is everlasting. And the fact that since all of this, God is with us. You see, I believe that praise, if I can use this, when we praise and worship God, it's our staying power. Our staying power. Because God always, when He calls us out, He calls us out, He calls us to great things. But then there's a process that we have to go through. And I'm telling you, in that process, we are going to find difficulties. You don't even have to go looking for them. They know where you live. But the question is, is when they come, will you keep your praise on? And to help you with that, I want to give you a few scriptures. First one, as I was doing all of this, I'm 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 amazed at Jesus first of all. And I know that God was with him because to face everything that he faced and to do to live through everything that he went through to be able to make it to the cross. I mean God had to be with him. But it reminded me of Joseph and in Genesis 50 Verses 19 to 21, and I'm trusting that you remember this story. Joseph was sent to Egypt and went down there before the famine hit. And God had exalted him to the place of providing, and he provided for his family. 
But it says this after Joseph's dad died and his brothers were worried that they were going to, that Joseph was going to kill them now too. But it says in verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me because I mean, his life from a, I think he was about 17 years old. It just went downhill. And it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Can, can we believe that when we're going through difficulties? Because somewhere along here, I believe that Joseph learned how to keep his praise on. Because when you study his life out and you see all that happened to him, he still had a good attitude. And I believe it was because he kept his praise and worship on. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And this brings me to the picture of what Jesus did for us. And Jesus went through all that he went through because of the salvation that he knew he was providing for us. And then he says in verse 21, so do not fear. So I say to you this morning, do not fear. Do not fear. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That sounds to me like what Jesus has told us. Do not fear. Keep your praise on. Keep worshiping me. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And most of the time we just stop there. But, and that's a great verse, but there's a process that happens after this verse too. That I wish more people would put it together. Because verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So whatever we're going through, God is willing to work it all out for our good. What's the good? That we are conformed to the likeness and image of the son of God, of Jesus Christ. In order that, as he says here, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he, whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he has also glorified. And so, when you're going through that hard time, remember, he's working this all out in us. And so, we have to keep our praise on. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Ephesians 2.4 But God, being rich in mercy. <laughs> this is one of my favorite scriptures. I, I just like to pause there. I just like to think about it. Because God, who is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. To me... 
I get the understanding. It doesn't run out. He doesn't have to go to the store and get some more mercy. He doesn't have to call, uh, what are these places? Door, DoorDash? He doesn't call up DoorDash. Hey, can you get me some mercy? He doesn't do that. He is rich in mercy. And then it tells us why He is rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us. Because while He's going through all of that, and remember, I forgot to remind you that He had to remember somewhere the anointment that came on Him on Friday, the week before. You know that that came up in his memory. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That's speaking of Jesus. Jesus went through all of this because the Father loves us and he loves us. And he has the very best for us. So when life goes south on us, when it turns sour on us, and we're confused by how life is turning out, guess what? It's our time to praise Him and keep our praise on and to worship Him because we have a God who loves us and He has proven that love to us from what Jesus did. And then you have to love verse 5 because this is the qualifier. He didn't love us after we became great. (laughs) Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So He loves us. He raises us up with Jesus. He seats us with Jesus in the heavenly places. Why? So we can have a different perspective of what is going on in our life. And a different perspective of the trials and the difficulties that we're experiencing. And we can keep our praise on. When we're seated down here and we're looking at all our circumstances and we're wondering, God, where are you? How come you? I thought you gave me this spouse for for me. He did. He's working something in us. We're going to face trials. We're going to face difficulties. But what will we keep our praise on? Now, I'm, I'm letting you know your, your words are coming up in verse 7. So get ready to say them. All right, put 7 up. He's done all of that. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable. It can't be measured. So the riches of his grace and kindness towards us cannot be measured. And how many times has the world described God as a mean God. And here He is willing to show off His immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us. But it's found in one place, in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And then he goes on in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to try and pay for it. We don't have to do anything. Just believe. Verse 9, Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before Him that we should walk in them. And I want to propose to you that part of those good works is when all hell comes against you, you keep your praise on. You keep your praise on. And then we'll end with this in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that awesome? So I want to encourage you this morning to keep your praise on. Hold on to your praise. Your king is coming. He is the king. It may not look like it all the time. It may not look like he's reigning or you're reigning. But we are. If we'll keep our praise on. If we'll keep worshiping him. We're going to receive communion here in just a second. And I, I just. I want to encourage you to make sure that. We understand what he's done for us. I, I love this is such a great time of the year. Because it's the answer for the world is Jesus. And it comes around every year. They can't stop it. They can put all the bunnies out they want, all the candy that looks like a bunny, all they want. But guess what? God's still reigning.